How's it going today, guys? Back here live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes at TP3. I'm your host, Thomas Penland, coming to y'all on Monday, June 21st, 2021. Joined once again by Ben Gorwitz. Ben, let's go, baby. Hawks going to the conference finals. Unbelievable. Unbelievable weekend. Uh, great Father's Day. Great Father's Day gift uh, for all the Hawks dads out there. Ooh, that feels good, man. It feels good. I know, bro. I honestly couldn't believe it actually happened for us. So I'm not going to lie. I was actually confident we were going to win that game going into the game. I really didn't have any faith in the 76ers. And Bede looked like he had ran out of gas. Um, I told people, though, that I wasn't betting on the Hawks because I felt like I jinxed them the last three times I tried to bet on them. They lost. So I just took the under, which was very safe play and cashed easily. But, you know, what a freaking game, man. I mean, if you had told me on the game, Trey Young was to be five for 24 from the field, I would say, shit, we probably lost by 30. And yet we still run one. Kevin Herter, man, red velvet, saved our asses completely. I mean, Bogey did not look right after that knee injury in game six. But, you know, I'll say this about those Hawks, man. They were resilient. You know, they didn't stop playing playing at all. They played a hard defense. They found open shots. I mean, Gallinari off the bench looked great. Lou Williams off the bench. You know, they're scrappy. This Hawks team is deep and honestly more talented than the 76ers team. They did a good job of exposing a lot of Philadelphia's flaws, like Simmons free, free throw shooting. Um, I mean, they variously said Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid beat us. Nobody else is doing anything. I mean, Seth Curry came back down to earth. He wasn't Steph Curry anymore. He played like he, he actually is again. I mean, Ben, what do you think about that game? There's a lot. There's a lot to take away from the game. Um, oh, yeah. I want to first focus on focused on the storyline that a lot of the national media is not focusing on. Uh, what I've noticed, at least this morning, is a lot of the national media, particularly just ESPN, they're talking more about what the Sixers did to lose the series rather than focusing on what the Hawks yeah. did to actually win the series. So Ridiculous. I'm, I'm going to focus on how the Hawks won this series first. And listen, game seven in any sport, uh, you know, the game but in any sport you need an unsung hero to help out your star players and mm -hmm. unfortunately the hawk star player trey young didn't have his best game but he got his teammates involved he was passing the ball very well um and the unsung hero like you mentioned kevin herter man he i mean that was a michael jordan lebron james type of game whatever you want to call it i mean it, he was unbelievable um i thought okongwu played unbelievable defense absolutely Capella got he got two fouls. Um, I think the second foul was with three minutes left in the first quarter. But uh, Okongu played great defense on Embiid. And you know what? When I was watching the game, like every time Embiid took one of those mid-range jump shots, I said thank you. And like, don't care if it went in. I, I don't care. Because if he's taking a jump shot from the mid-range, that's better than him posting up or mm -hmm. driving to the basket. Because every time he drives to the basket, he was making the shot or getting fouled in this series. He got fouled a lot in this series. Um, he's, he's really good at getting the free throw line mixed in with a, little, a couple flops, but he's, he's really good at drawing <laughs> fouls for as big as he is. Every time he takes that shot, I mean, listen, the trend of him not playing well in the fourth quarter, like that, that stayed true the entire series. Um, I think you and I had a little different viewpoint on it. Um, I'm, I'm not making an excuse for him, but if the injury was real, I think his knees just got worn down as the game went on because the Hawks were physical with them the entire game. And I think the physicality just wore him down and he never made the adjustment. Um, but listen, all the credit goes to the Hawks underdog. Um, they kept fighting, they kept believing and they came out on top. So I'll let you talk about the Hawks. And then I kind of want to get to the, uh, the Sixers. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot to cover on the Sixers part. Um, but yeah, you know, with the Hawks, I'd say we were just resilient. You know, we were just the young team, you know, that didn't know any better. Um, it's kind of like we said, Ben, we're going to play the underdog card. And that's exactly what we did. The underdogs kept barking. You know, this team really believed and bought in. It's crazy to think that this team, you know, when Lloyd Pierce was running things at one point was 14 and 22. Then we hand over the reins to Nate McMillan and the team was completely different. You know, we watched this young team grow and get better and better. And, you know, I feel like the rest of this team kind of watched Trey Young. I feel like they kind of came into the playoffs and they saw how Trey Young didn't back down. 
down and the rest of the team kind of took on his mentality last night, you know, like we didn't back down at all. Kevin Herter looks ready and no moment was too big for him. I mean, going into the game, I don't remember if I texted you or not, but I know I was talking to my dad before the game started and I was like, yeah, he was like, you know, we're going to have to have a role player step up and carry this offense with Trey young. I mean, the defense was all over Trey all night. I mean, it wasn't like he was missing open shots. You know what I mean? Like these were tough contested threes that he was shooting from 30 feet behind the three point line. So not like he's missing, uh, missing, you know, tough shots, but I will say this about Trey. Trey was resilient. He had some bad, I mean, he had some tough breaks throughout the game, but he didn't let it get him down. In the fourth quarter, he scored for us at some of the most crucial points of the game, like when he hit that deep three or when he drove to the hole at the end and got that bucket. And I thought he really frustrated these the 76ers team. And, you know, you could tell they were frustrated because they had been dominating him all game long. And it was like he wouldn't go away. He wouldn't stop. I mean, you saw Ben Simmons trying to fight over him, fight with him to get that loose ball. But, you know, this entire team, I mean, Embiid handed Capella's ass to him almost the entire season. But Capella didn't back down and go pout about it. Capella just went harder on him on defense the entire game. I love the like the intensity and the fire that this team brought. And, you know, we really didn't back down at all. Now, from a 76ers flip side of things, I mean, if you're Embiid, I feel bad for Embiid, honestly. Like, you know, I wanted to sit there and make fun of him and trash him, but you really can't. I mean, even he played injured. I mean, you saw it at the end of the game. There were some points in the game, like you said, you know, where you thought he was going to drive in and get something going towards the basket. Instead, you know, he shot those jump shots. And you could tell that it was with his knee, man. He did not look right at all in the second half of this game. I mean, you could definitely tell, especially at the end of the game, he had nothing left in the tank. But, you know, he gave he gave 150%. Ben Simmons is 100% the problem here for the 76ers. I mean, he passed up that layup, but beyond that, the Hawks absolutely frustrated him. I believe he didn't score as either in the last three or four games in the fourth quarter. He didn't have a field goal. Um, terrible from the free throw line. He didn't even look like he thought he was going to make a free throw. I mean, at least Giannis looks confident up there. He doesn't even look confident like he can throw it in the damn ocean. I mean... Ben Simmons has honestly gotten worse as an NBA player, and it all came out here. I thought the Hawks did a great job of exposing it. And, I mean, realistically, if you're paying $30 million to a guy like this, that's not good. I mean, Seth Curry was their second-best player the entire series. Imagine if they didn't trade Josh Richardson for Seth Curry in the offseason. I mean, this team, might it, they might have got swept if that wasn't the case. Yeah. Tobias Harris was pretty good in, in this uh, series as well, especially as the games, games. kind of went on in the series. He, yeah, I mean, especially as the series went on, he started to play better and better. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Ben Simmons, it's – listen, he's 24 years old. So, uh, I, I think it's – I think the Sixers and him need to move on. I think it's one of those things where mm-hmm. it, it's just not going to work out. Um, him and NB are not going to work out together. Like, they've had four, I think, five years together now, and it, it's, it's not working, and that's okay, but – I'm not giving up on Ben Simmons as, as an NBA player. Um, he's committed to working hard and, and trying to fix it this summer. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually recently, I believe it was today, just declined to yep. play for Team Australia. He said he'd rather work on his mechanics and his shot. And honestly, it's good for him. It, it's it's time to prove that you're at least putting in the work. Like You're not going to get better at anything in life unless you practice it. And it's great that he's practicing free throws and jump shooting, you know, in the offseason. But you need to take some threes in games. Like, don't worry about missing them. It's, it's okay. But you have to try. And I, that's kind of the frustrating part with me is, like, I mean, like you mentioned, he didn't take uh, – he didn't shoot a single shot in the fourth quarter in the last couple of games in the series. And, like, I mean, that's – I get that he's a really good passer. He can rebound. I get that. But like you, ha- you have to try to make a shot. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying that he was scared to shoot mentally. He's not there. And, like, listen, it was a tough series for him. Um, I, I think they're going to try and explore a trade with him. But I don't know if I can say that with confidence just yet. I think they might give him at least another year to try. Um, I also want to talk about Doc Rivers, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you kind of bring up his his playoff record um, over the past couple of years if you want to. I, I'm going to talk about one other thing. And his in-game coaching, I think you can point to him in-game coaching in game mm-hmm. seven as another reason they lost this game. Kevin Herter was going off from the first quarter. And he, he just right away, you could tell that he was feeling it. He made his first couple of shots. 
And Doc Rivers and the Sixers never switched the defensive matchup on him. And they had three guys make the all-NBA defense team. Like, they had Seth Seth Curry, who I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to say he's like 6'3", 6'4", maybe, guarding a 6'7 guy. Herder was shooting over him all day long in the post, over threes, in mid-range. So, like, why didn't he put Mike Steibel on him? Like, Mm-hmm. The way that Trey Young was shooting that game, you could have taken Ben Simmons off Trey Young and put Seth Curry on him. Like Trey literally just couldn't make a shot. So I, I, I'm gonna blame Doc for that. Um, I, I was really shocked. I mean, listen, I was happy, but, but as long as Kevin Herter was being guarded by Seth Curry, you knew that he, his approach, his mental, uh, you know, the way the Hawks were gonna get offense is Kevin Herter's feeling it today. It's been proven that Curry cannot guard Kevin Herter. So we're going to give him the ball every chance we get. And Herder, man, and pay. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't know what Doc Rivers' exact playoff record is, but this is, I mean, Doc Rivers has blown so many leads in the playoffs. I mean, he blew big leads in these games in and of themselves. I mean, his teams, when he was the head coach of the Clippers, when he was the head coach with the Celtics, I mean, he's think about all the talent that Doc Rivers has had. I mean, he coached the Boston Big Three. He coached the Celtics when they had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. I mean, when he probably had two top ten players at the time in Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. I mean, Doc Rivers has been handed so much talent over the years and has one champion to show for it, championship to show for it. He hasn't even been back to the conference finals since he was in Boston. I mean, you think about how stacked up some of those Clippers teams were. I mean, Doc Rivers blows it. I mean, last year he had a 3-1 lead in the playoffs, and he blew that one. In multiple of those games, they had 20-point leads that they blew. I mean, I just don't think Doc Rivers could execute in the playoffs. I don't know what it is, but it's like somebody's got his just has his number in the playoffs. Yeah, I also want to add, it, it looks even worse for Doc Rivers because Ty Lue just did in year one what Doc Rivers didn't do in seven years with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they, there's, you know, there's a couple of different players, but, you know, like Kawhi's not playing and Ty Lue just reached the conference finals in year one. So I think Ty Lue deserves a lot of credit as a coach because – he was very successful in Cleveland. I know he had LeBron, but he broke the curse in Cleveland, and he just broke another curse in uh, Los Angeles with the Clippers. So um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Doc Rivers' problem is, but I do want to say this. Um, you texted me about it to see if I saw it, and I did see it. The post-game press conference, I don't blame the reporter for asking this question because, I mean, it's it. it, it the question was based around, like, do you yeah. think Ben Simmons can be the point guard of a championship team, which is what you're trying to build in, in Philly? And first of all, that's a great question to ask. It's, it's a great time to ask the question if you're a reporter uh, because you can get a controversial answer and, and you got a controversial answer. And I, I don't blame Doc Rivers for being honest. Um, he was very honest, but to me, it's not the time and place to do it. I agree. Um, Doc Rivers, you're the, you're the coach. You're not the GM. It, it's not, I mean, it's Elton Brand's decision whether to get rid of or to keep Ben Simmons or not. And your, your star player in Ben Simmons, not your best player, but one of your star players, clearly has no confidence in himself right now. And Doc Rivers just, I mean, indirectly just kept putting him down. Uh, he basically said, I don't know the answer to that. And you know what? I think a, if I was the reporter, I would have rebuttaled the question and, and I would say, do you think you're good enough to lead a team to an NBA championship? And I get that he's already won one in Boston, but he hasn't done it since. So, you know what? I, I don't think I think a lot of blame goes on Ben Simmons. I also think a majority of the blame goes on Doc Rivers. Yeah, um, by the way, I know you saw that uh, terrible fielding right there by the Braves in the little error. But, um, yeah, you know, back to back to what you said, Ben, you know, I agree completely. I thought it was not the time and place for Doc Rivers to say that. And the fact that he said that, it just secured to me the fact that Ben Simmons will not be back with this team, you know, in this next season. I mean, there's no way that they're going to have him back in Philadelphia after what happened. I mean, this team got booed off the court twice during this round of the playoffs, twice during this round. I mean, that's pathetic. You're getting booed off your home floor. I know Philly fans are a little absurd, but still getting booed by the home crowd is not a good feeling. And, you know, Ben Simmons, especially with his head coach saying that, 
you can't have that riff. I doubt that Philly wants to fire Doc's, Doc Rivers after one season, you know. So I'm with you on that one, man. You definitely can't say that. But what a win, victory by our Hawks. Um, let's talk about the other Eastern Conference matchup, and then let's go ahead and preview the Eastern Conference finals. So, I mean, we got we we were truly blessed with some great basketball this weekend. I mean, all three of the games that we had to go on this weekend, even four going back to Friday night with Hawks Sixers game six were all amazing games. But, you know, I really feel like that this Brooklyn game was a legendary game. I mean, when you look at it for Kevin Durant, that has to be one of the all-time worst breaks in NBA history that his toe was barely on the line and he would have won this game regulation. I think he wanted to shoot a three-pointer there because he knew as well as everybody else that he didn't have anything left in the tank for overtime. I mean, you saw it. None of those guys had anything left in the tank for overtime. And, you know, for just focusing on the KD part here for a second. So I don't know how true this is or not, but I heard it on a couple play, on a couple talk shows the next day. Apparently, Kevin Durant wears a shoe that's a size bigger when he plays. He likes to have space in his shoe. If that's true, that's like the all-time worst way to ever go down. I mean, he's on the line like the most barely you could be on the line. For him, it, basically, if he was wearing a small a size smaller shoe, his foot would have been behind the line. So if that's true, it's a terrible break for you out there, KD. But honestly, even though he lost the game in and of itself, I think this was a legendary performance by Kevin Durant. He deserves more credit for it. I mean, he was out there playing one on five. James Harden had a grade two hamstring strain. I mean, most people are out for a month with that. James Harden was trying to play with that as half a player, basically. I mean, he was getting nothing. Joe Harris couldn't throw it in the freaking ocean. Joe Harris looked awful. I mean, I kind of questioned Steve Nash a little bit why he didn't put Jeff Green in there. Jeff Green and Kevin Durant carried the team in game five, which was a legendary performance. And I mean, I don't understand why Jeff Green didn't get more minutes. Their bench had more fouls than shot attempts. I mean, it was literally just them playing, you know, two on. It was literally basically Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant versus all. Blake Griffin was doing all he could out there. I mean, he was in foul trouble as well. Um, ultimately, though, you know, Kevin Durant just had a legendary performance here. The entire defense was centering around him and everything. And Kevin Durant was unstoppable. That was easy money sniper at his best. And, you know, got to give a shout out. I mean, obviously it didn't end how he wanted to, but I mean, got to give a shout out to Durant with that performance. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It was, it was such a legendary performance by KD. Unfortunately, I think that performance might go in the same category as the Julio Jones Super Bowl catch. I mean, are, are people like in next season, are we, are people going to be talking about more about how Giannis and the Bucks advanced or KD's performance? Like, you're going to talk about the winner of the series because especially if the Bucs go on to the uh, uh, NBA Finals and win the NBA Finals. Let me ask you this, though. Do you think that the Nets being injured is the reason why the Bucs won the series? Do you think they would have actually won it if the if the both teams are at full strength? Um, I mean, if, if both teams are at full strength, I, I think the Nets would have won the series. I just think it's too many unstoppable forces between the big three. And then Blake Griffin was giving them quality minutes. Um, but, you know, that's a hypothetical. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I've I've been on record saying multiple times that you, when the Nets are fully healthy, the only thing that's beating them is themselves. Like, mm -hmm. it, they don't need to play great defense because you literally can't stop them. So, um, you know, Kyrie's injury, like, it wasn't – it's not even one of those things where you're like, oh, he could have played, but he, you know, he's Kyrie. So he just like, that was a really bad injury. Like mm -hmm. it was one of those ankle injuries that I was like holding my own ankle, like kind of in pain myself. Um, like you mentioned Harden I mean, Harden was not James Harden. I don't want to make an excuse for the guy credit to him trying to play and helping his team, but that wasn't the James Harden that he is. And, we, and mm -hmm. uh, he, he was a hundred percent. It's just, man, the the thing about Game Seven, um, their their bench didn't attempt a shot. Not a single bench player even attempted a shot for the Nets in the entire game. So, I mean, I don't understand that. Like, I, I think, what are we doing? Like, at some point, draw up a play for someone other than Katie just to give him an offensive break, or Steve Nash call a timeout or something mm -hmm. like. I just – Durant was gassed, man. I mean, honestly, like, I get that he airballed the last shot, but I can't really fault him. He, he nothing left in the tank. Yep. There's no legs there for him. And, honestly, great defense by Drew Holiday. So, um, just like I mentioned before with the Hawks, 
I uh, wanted to give them credit. I know I was kind of just talking about the Nets, but let's give the Bucks credit, man. Giannis really showed up in this series. Chris Middleton really showed up in this series. Um, Drew Holiday got better. It was rough kind of start for him, but got better and better uh, as the series went on. And the Bucks' big three plus Lopez, they, they carried them, and they took advantage of a non-healthy Nets team, and they beat them down. They, I think the strategy must have been just KD score as much as you want. We're going to try and shut down everyone else. And listen, they accomplished that. But I do want to say one more thing about the Nets, and then I'll kick it back to you. Joe Harris let his team down. Absolutely. Joe, Joe Harris was atrocious all series long. A guy that's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, percentage-wise, uh, in the regular season, year after year now. Uh, we've seen what he can do in a three-point shootout. I believe he was in last year's games uh, and was liked out shooting in it. I mean, this guy's a really good three-point shooter. And he didn't come through his team in a single game in this series. So I don't know what his problem was. I don't. Maybe the, bright, the lights were too bright for him, but he missed a lot of open shots for his teams. For his team, sorry. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely, Ben. He came up very, very short for his team. I mean, that was one of the worst performances I've seen in a while out of anybody. Um, back, though, to that series on the flip side of things. Obviously, the Bucks won this game and won this series because of an injury, but I still got to give a little bit of credit to Giannis here, man. I mean, we, I, we really, you know, have called out Giannis's legacy and questioned him a lot, and quite frankly – that injury probably saved Giannis's legacy completely. I mean, this was a game where Giannis left it all out on the floor. 40 points, 13 rebounds, five assists. Um, you know, the game before that, Chris Middleton really stepped up, dropped 38 points. And this Bucks team, you know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of people bashing him. I mean, I, w- I would argue that Coach Bud was probably packing. I want. I mean, I feel like he probably had booked another flight somewhere else than back to Milwaukee after this game was over. Giannis looked absolutely tired. I mean, he looked broken down in this game, and yet he still f- mustered up something to win this game. I mean, eight for fourteen from the free throw line, eleven rebound or thirteen rebounds, forty points, positive plus minus. I mean. What more can you ask for out of your star player here? I mean, he was getting – Brooke Lopez played an all right game. I mean, I would say even though Middleton was 9 for 26, you know, this was a sloppy game. You needed what you could get out of guys. But how about Drew Holiday? You know, it kind of felt like Giannis and Middleton had nothing left in the tank. Drew Holiday was trash the entire game. He gets a floater and a three-pointer in the most clutch points of the game and wins the game for you. I mean, from a Milwaukee side of things – they had an opportunity and they seized it. And, you know, I think Milwaukee deserves more credit for that. Obviously it was due to the situation, and everything, but this is huge for Giannis's legacy, you know, and still helps Giannis keep pushing on. If he ends up somehow raising the trophy this year, this is going to be massive for him. Yeah. And I do want to say this, and I want to start by saying, I'm not just saying this because Trey Young had one of these performances, but in the playoffs, like it doesn't matter. I, I don't care what Trey Young's field goal percentage is in the playoffs. As long as there's a W next to the team name, that's all I care about. And I, I think that goes for Chris Middleton as well. Like the Bucks can only go so far with Giannis being their only player that, that provides um, a defensive and up spark for them. Like Giannis by himself is, is not good enough offensively like an overall offensive package to win a championship. Like he needs Chris Middleton to help him out, hit the big shots. He needs Drew Holiday to hit some open threes. So I, I don't really care that, that Chris Middleton didn't shoot the ball that well. Uh, mm-hmm. Whatever you said, his field goal percentage was nine for 22, or whatever you said. Like he hit some big, big shots in the fourth quarter, specifically when he was driving right, stopped, turned, reverse spin, and, and hit that fadeaway in mid-range. Like, I mean, I, it, it's the playoffs. It's game seven. Win the game. I, it does not matter what you shoot. The same goes for Trey Young. He hit that kind of uh, right, kind of inside the logo, but deep three. I mean, I'm shooting it. Like, I, I don't want as a fan watching, like, Trey can shoot as much as he wants. I, I, he, I don't care that – he wasn't shooting the ball well. I know that he mm-hmm. can still make any shot. And this is the same for Chris Middleton. But, you know, like Giannis, on the other hand, like if Giannis isn't making his threes, if he takes like the first two or three and he's, he doesn't make them, 
Don't shoot another one for the rest of the game. But if you're Drew Holiday, Trey Young, Chris Middleton, Bogdanovich, Herter, these types of guys, man, keep shooting. Keep shooting until your team loses because that's the only thing you can do. So props to Trey Young, props to Chris Middleton uh, for staying in there and keep shooting because they were not shooting well for three quarters and they both hit some big shots in the fourth quarter and both of their teams have a W next to their name moving on to the next round. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly what you said. Both these teams have a W on their names moving to the next round. And, Ben, you made us the perfect segue there. Got to give a shout-out to Ben for that throw. Let's talk about this upcoming series here. Atlanta and Milwaukee, they start on Wednesday. Um, Milwaukee, obviously, pretty decently heavy favorites to win this series. Um, ben, what do you think is going to happen in this series and why? Well, I mean, I, listen, I've doubted the Hawks. I didn't think – I think I said they were going to lose the Sixers in six. Um, I, I think I saw the Bucks are minus 500. I mean, listen, I'm just happy that the Hawks are here. Um, I, I'm not expecting them to win this series, but I'm also not expecting them to get swept. So at this point, they're playing with house money. They have absolutely nothing to lose in this series. I didn't think they had anything to lose in game seven against the Sixers, to be honest with you. I thought all the pressure in the world was on the 76ers in game seven. Because they're the one seed. They're the team that's supposed to win the series. Um, when you're the underdog, man, no one's expecting much of you. So the fact that Trey can, can keep highlighting himself, the fact that Nate McMillan deserves and, and, and is getting a lot of national media attention with, uh, you know, these national televised games, they, they keep talking about it. If you're listening to the broadcast, they keep talking about how he's turned this team around um, I like that they do the wired segments because I've I've agreed every single time there's a timeout and Nate Nicholson's wired. I think he says the right things. I think he pushes mm-hmm. the right buttons. Um, I think this team just really is meshing well with him. And even though he still has the interim tag on his coaching, um, you know, on his job title, I would expect he uh, would like to stay at Atlanta and gets a well-deserved raise and extension because. He's done everything and more that you can ask for. Uh, he's doing a great job as a coach. The team's playing hard for him until the final buzzer. And I, I'm just very impressed with the Hawks. So I, I'm going to say the Hawks losing five or six in the Bucks. But to be honest with you, I'm just happy they're here. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way as you do, to be honest with you, Ben. I, I really am happy for the resilience of this team and the drive that we took and everything to get here to this point. Um. But, you know, I'm going to agree with you on this one, man. I really just feel like that, you know, we've been a great story all season long. We're lucky to be here at this point. Um, Also, too, I mean, y'all got to think about the injuries now. We don't have Cam Reddish. We don't have DeAndre Hunter. And, I mean, Bogey was pathetic in Game 7. I mean, shout out to Bogey for playing. Can't knock him for that. But, I mean, Bogey's definitely beat up, banged up. And I just don't think we're going to get the Bogey we need here. I think there's too many injuries at this point for us. Um, you know, it's been one heck of a run though. Like, you know, I'm definitely proud of the run that this team has put together and what we've done to get to where we're at. Um, but you know, I just feel like these injuries, man, are going to start to pile up at some point in time. It's kind of like how it was in the regular season. Like you said, we're definitely not going to get swept. I, I'm going to go with bucks and six again. And, you know, it's the same logic me and Ben used last time, man, we're the underdogs, you know, we're the underdogs. That's the way we want it to be. Let's keep it that way. I mean, there's definitely a chance the Hawks can win this series personally don't think it's gonna happen but you know as Hawks fans we you know we overachieved this year this is a great thing this young team has done this is such a young team and like we've said you know this is even the full roster we're yet to be at that full roster as Hawks fans we need to be happy and satisfied with getting here to this game obviously want to give them a run for their money and make it one hell of a series you know if we lose though I'm not going to be this isn't going to be where I'm crying and I'm upset you know like it's just another thing and you know we're going to be back at it even better than ever next year this is just another piece of experience another stepping stone for our team you know every single young team needs a certain stepping stone and this is going to be the stepping stone for our team to get to greatness um let's talk about the western conference now so obviously the clippers shut down shut out the fraud jazz as i've told y'all many many times jazz are frauds i mean that's absolutely pathetic they have no business losing to a clippers team that doesn't have Kawhi leonard i want to say this real quick about the jazz before we get into the western conference matchup and i don't know if you have anything else you want to say about the jazz donovan mitchell did everything he could in that series 
the Jazz's defensive wings obviously weren't enough, but Rudy Gobert was absolutely pathetic. You know, I've really changed a lot of my opinion on Rudy Gobert after watching this series. He was got exposed on offense because he couldn't guard anyone on the perimeter. But, I mean, he had freaking 6'3 Luke Kennard on him in the paint. He should be abusing them. You know what I mean? Like, this is where Rudy Gobert on the offensive end needs to be hitting some shots to make them have to put Zubots or somebody else in. You know, when Rudy Gobert plays like that and they can't have him in there on defense and play with a center, it's not going to work out for Utah. I mean, this whole team is built around playing with a center in there. Rudy Gobert has to step up and play better on offense and force the other team to play their style of basketball. This is exactly why that they couldn't, and this is, was the downfall of the Jazz in this series, is Rudy Gobert on offense not being able to score on 6'3 and 6'4 guards. That's pathetic. Yep, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, you know what? The Clippers, specifically Paul George, when he was driving to the hoop, he was going right at Gobert and jumping, kind of jumping into his body to make sure he couldn't block the shot. I think that was very smart. And, you know, with... With the Jazz, you know, to be honest with you, they were up 22 at halftime. I went to bed. Like, I, I was on – I was at the beach with my family. We were waking up really early the next day to uh, drive home. Uh, I mean, up 22. Was that, was that game six? I think it was game six. They were up 22 at half. Yeah, they were up 22 at half. They were up by 26 at one point in time. Yeah, and they ended up losing by 12. And you know what? That just – that just can't happen for a franchise. And then you you get to game seven, anything can happen. And, you know, like I mentioned, you need an unsung hero to help out your star. Terrence Mann, <laughs> the, the boy from Florida State. I mean, oh, yeah. Boy, he put on a career high night. Um, he just, man, Ty Lue, he pressed all the right buttons. I think Terrence Mann was inserted into the starting lineup, if I'm not mistaken. And, Listen, he benefited his coach from making that decision. And um, listen, I don't know if they can keep this going against the Suns without Kawhi, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. Credit to Paul George. I want that on the record. I'm very hard on Paul George because I think he is a good player. Like Paul George is not a scrub. He is a very good player, but he doesn't always show it. And since game – three in that series against the Jazz, he was marvelous. He was great, um, especially without Kawhi. When Kawhi went down, he really took over this team. Uh, Morris gave him some uplift from threes, Luke Kennard. I don't know why he wasn't playing earlier in the playoffs, but he's provided some offense for them. Like They're playing very well, the Clippers, and we'll, we'll see what they can do. They're down 1-0 to the Suns already, but – um, you know, the Suns were off a lot of rest in game one and the Clippers were just fought off a really hard seven game series. So I don't think it was that hard to predict that the Suns were going to win game one, but it was damn close. Devin Booker had a 40 point triple double and they still barely won. So I think that's a good sign for the Clippers. Um, but like I said, all the credit to Paul George and I'll wait for the Suns takes uh, for when we talk about that series. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the series now. i am be honest with you, Ben. I'm going to stick with Suns here in six, which was my original prediction. I think the Clippers can win two games in this series. But honestly, though, I think the thing that Phoenix did that was tough for them is they were able to keep Aiton in the game. You know, Aiton was able to actually be a threat on offense. He was able to kill them on the on the boards. He was able to catch alley-oops and everything. I think he's going to be more of a problem for him when Chris Paul gets back in the mix of things. I don't think Kawhi is going to come back, and if he does, I don't think he's going to be Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. I think he's going to try to come back and play hurt, maybe kind of like Durant did that one time. I don't think it's – let's put it this way. I don't think it's going to work out, and he's going to be a, enough of a cha- of a of a game changer. Obviously, like you said, shout out to the Clipper role players for stepping up and everything. I mean, the Clippers played well. Like you said, you know, they fought hard. They hit a lot of threes. The way the Suns are going to kill them, though, is the Suns have a ton of defensive wings. They can throw at you. They cut well off the ball. They move well. They play smart. They hit a ton of threes. This Suns team, I think, though, is the best team in the NBA, and I think they will raise the trophy ultimately when it's all said and done. I think Chris Paul coming back is going to be tough, too, because, you know, this is kind of a Chris Paul revenge series, but also, too, for Paul George. I mean, I think really Paul George's problem was he just wasn't good at, you know, deferring to the as being the number two option in the playoffs, and I think he's going to struggle with that. You know, I feel like that – 
he was more of like a oh crap you know like i gotta have you know i feel like he wasn't good at juggling the responsibility of being a number two you know some guys it's just like that some guys can't adjust you know well to being a number two even chris bosh you know you've heard him talk a lot about how tough it was for him to adjust to being a number three i think it was the same thing here with paul george for number two but you know he's been thriving as the number one on this team i mean he's beautiful to watch him play basketball hit all these threes i mean he's the smoothest one of the smoothest jump shots in the league i love watching him shoot the basketball but you know, I really think the Suns team is just too many mismatches, like with Aiton, and then I think their defensive wings are good enough to slow them down. And then ultimately, the development and the adjustment in Devin Booker's game is insane. You know, Devin Booker, like I was tweeting about, and um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but his playmaking has just gone to another level. You know, Devin Booker used to be the seventy point in in a game. Devin Booker, not knocking him for that because it's a hard thing to do, but. You know, I don't think Devin Booker is really looking to get other people involved. It was just kind of, I got to come out here and score 40 points or else we're going to lose tonight. And I think he realized all the things he can do off the ball. Like Devin Booker was so good at making that extra pass and swinging the ball, you know, or finding that extra guy, making the one more pass to get an opener, get a better shot. I think that's really where Devin Booker's game has matured and changed is that his playmaking has stepped up to another level. And that's really what helps his son's team go. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He was incredible in game one. Obviously, like I mentioned earlier, he had a triple-double. I want to talk about Aiden. Um, he runs the floor better than most big men in the league, and you can really tell that it benefits the Suns because the Suns do like to get out in transition uh, when they get their defensive stops. They're a good defensive team. And listen, Aiden, specifically this one play, Devin Booker uh, decided to drive to the hoop, and it was kind of, there was three guys around him. And all he did, he drove to the uh, with his left hand towards the middle of the basket, and just dropped it off to Aiton. And he, because he was running the floor harder than whoever was guarding him, um, I, I'm not sure if it was Zubac at the time, he got an easy dunk out of it. And Aiton did that a lot in round one, um, and then he did it a lot in round two. So Aiton likes to run the floor. If you're guarding him, you better get back on defense because. You don't want that man running the floor because he's going to score every time. Absolutely. He's too big that if he, if he, even if he's going for a layup, he's got full steam ahead. It's an M1. Uh, but he dunks the ball with, with Lins. He goes in, and I, I'm very impressed with DeAndre Aiden. Now, you know, talking about Devin Booker, um, he's an easy out. He's very smooth. He's got good handles, an unbelievable jump shot, unbelievable ability to create his own shot and create space. I want to talk about the wings, uh, in particular three guys, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, and Michael Bridges. And listen, Bridges, since the playoffs have started, has been very, very impressive. Uh, he's He shoots the ball with confidence from the threes. He makes a lot of his threes. And then all he does is go back on the defensive end and plays great defense. And you know what? You can tell he was well coached in the game of basketball. Shout out Jay Wright for that, for building, you know, Jay Wright's got an unbelievable program in Villanova. Mm -hmm. And Michael Bridges was one of his better players on a championship team. So it's, it's translated to the NBA very nicely for him. Cam Johnson as well. Roy Williams is a great coach. And he was a two-way player at Carolina. And it's translated very well to the NBA. But I do want to shout out Jay Crowder. He's a guy that will always bring the physicality on the defensive end for a team. He's the, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I think I mentioned on the podcast, he's the guy that when I close my eyes and I think of the grit and grind Grizzly teams, I don't even know, I don't even think he was on those teams, but he, he would fit in perfectly with them. He plays nasty defense with a lot of physicality, no matter, who's guard, uh, no matter who he's guarding. And you know what? He has been on several different playoff teams and he's hitting a lot of threes for the uh, Phoenix Suns. And all that does is help out Chris Paul when he's playing. It helps out David Booker, takes the load off them. And the one guarantee we know in this series is that Chris Paul will eventually be back. But we don't know if Kawhi Leonard's going to be back. And I don't think the Clippers can win this series without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, see, I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. I don't think they can win either without Kawhi Leonard. Any last – you got anything else to say on this one, or should we move to our final topic? I'm going to say Suns in five. I think you said six. I'm going to go Suns in five. Um, Vegas, I would agree with you on that one. Suns in five has the best odds. I just feel like the Clippers can pull 
I feel like the Clippers are going to pull out two in this series with their three-point shooting. They just hit so many damn threes. I feel like they can get lucky and win two here. Um, last Randy thing we saw playing good, good basketball for them as well. Oh, no, absolutely. He's been playing great basketball for them as well. Definitely added a whole other dynamic to him. Um, last thing we talk about before we get out of here, I also want to say this. The NBA draft lottery is tomorrow. Um, at some point this week or next week, me and Ben are going to do a mock draft podcast, y'all, and address some topics. We think about how the college basketball game is starting to fall apart. Um I mean, even that Coach Cal news especially shows more of that. Last thing I want to talk about, though, actually, here's a little baseball. I don't know if I told you we're going to talk about this one or not, but star prospect Wander Franco has finally been called up. Been hearing about him for years now. Um, ben, how good do you think this kid actually is, and what do you think the ceiling is for him? He's been pretty much the unanimous number one prospect for a couple of years now. Yep. Um, you can ask or you, you can read any article from any baseball scout over the last two years, and he'll be number one in their rankings, and, and there's nothing bad to say about this kid. First of all, he's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of power for his size, and he's a switch hitter. So, I mean, what, what could you ask for, right? Um, but I will say this. We, we've seen this with a couple high-profile prospects. Um, specifically, I'm going to leave out pitchers because I think pitchers is a little bit different category when you're young. Mm -hmm. A lot of times pitchers will make a start and kind of go back down. And then when the team needs another spot start, they kind of call back up. Um, But we just saw this with um, Jared um, Kellenic. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name. Kellenic. Kellenic. For the Mariners, who was once a top prospect for the Mets. They traded him away, and then he immediately became – uh, top three prospect for the Mariners. He came up uh, first couple of games. He did, he was solid. Um, ended up hitting his first home run, and you know what? He went on a massive um, slump after that. I, I don't remember the number, but it was something like over thirty two. I think it was. Yeah. So um, we we see this from time to time with with young prospects. Sometimes they're just not ready. The Rays. I mean, they're a great team right now. They don't need Wander Franco, but it is time to bring them up. They traded William Adamas, who was the starting shortstop a couple of weeks ago. He's playing; he's actually playing very well for the Brewers. Um, it, it's time to just finally see what Wander can do. And you know what? If you brought him up too early, then that's fine. You send him right back down, and he'll be up at the start of next season, most likely. So, uh, baseball is ready to see what this kid can do. And listen. I, he stays because he's an exciting prospect to watch and he's got a lot of talent that's just uh you know the talent's just ready to be uncorked yeah see i'm gonna agree with everything ben said there just to give you all a little preference i mean this kid has as much hype as guys like bo bichette vlad vladdy jr ronald acuna juan soto i mean he is that kind of hype right here to play up to in the mlb so He's got big shoes to fill. He's absolutely been tearing the cover off the ball in the minor leagues. I don't know what his exact stats are, but, I mean, literally every single day when I saw his stats, it was Wander Franco went four for five. Wander Franco went three for four. Wander Franco this, that. I mean, this kid's a five-tool player. He can play the field just as well as he can hit. Um, you know, when they traded Willie Adamas at the beginning of the season, I knew that he was coming up sooner rather than later. It's on a raised team that's already on fire and is, has one of the best records and run differentials in baseball. So, you know, he's already joining a great team here, although I think Glasnow did just go to the uh, IL. But, you know, it would be awesome mm-hmm. to watch him play in the postseason, which is something that I really want to see personally to see how he can do. But Franco is one of the most high-profile profile prospects that I can remember just because, you know, we've been hearing about how good this kid is for so damn long. So it's good to finally see the fact that he's going to be up here in the show and we'll be able to see what he can do. Um, you know, I, it, it's I, up there. It, it's up there with the Bryce Harper hype. Yeah, exactly. Like that's how high the hype is. Like the next guy who's got that hype is Jason Dominguez, who we probably won't see for another two or three years. But I mean, he is humongous hype. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, like we didn't even talk about Kilinic coming up because he doesn't have the Wander Franco hype. You know what I mean? There's hardly anybody in the MLB that has this kind of hype. So it's gonna be fun to see what he does. Me and Ben will be keeping up with what he does. It's actually kind of funny. In one of my my fantasy baseball league, I've been having a tough season. You know, lost, got the most points scored against me. Finally, kind of threw in the towel and was like, all right. I to figure out who my keeper is for next year. I went ahead and added Wander Franco, and then now he got the news he's getting called up this week. So I hopped on it about a week early, which 
mean, I honestly did not think he was coming up this soon. I didn't think he'd come up until rosters expand at the end of the season, but you know, I'm excited to see him up here. Um, Ben, any last thoughts for you before before we get out of here? Yeah, I kind of want to bring up just a, a quick topic about go back to the NBA real quick. Um, mm-hmm. If you're if you're any contending team where your coach is on the hot seat or uh, you fired, you're talking about teams that um, are kind of lower. Um, I think the Magic, the um, I, I'm talking about this coach I'm about to name for the Magic because he just shouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. But I, I know that Doc Rivers has only been in Philly for one year. I think two. Is that his second year, Doc Rivers? No, that was his was first year in Philly. Um, I, I'm not saying this is very fair to do, but if I was the Philadelphia 76ers GM, I mm. would give Rick Carlisle a call. I think Rick Carlisle is the difference maker coach. I'm not saying I think Doc is a bad coach, but I think his playoff record speaks for itself. Um, I think his playoff blown lead speaks for itself. I understand that he has a title. Um, I understand that Rick Carlisle only has one title, but I think Rick Carlisle has done a lot with less than a lot of other coaches in the league. Um, I would be the one team that could hire Rick Carlisle that I think I would like it, but I'm not sure if it would make a difference, but I think Portland should do it. I, I know that Portland needs a lot of help defensively and, I think Rick Carlisle could do that, but they need players more than just a coach. Mm-hmm. But Rick Carlisle is going to be a hot name on the market. Um, if he's not already, I don't know how if teams that are already eliminated kind of already shopping around. But listen, if the Bucks, if they're not going to fire Bud, Coach Bud now, because I'm assuming the Hawks are not going to get past the Bucks in this series and they're going to make the NBA Finals. And even if the Bucks don't win it, I don't think you fire coach bud for making nba finals but i think rick carlisle can do a lot with the 76ers team i think he can do a lot with with a lot of teams i think he's a very good coach and i would expect him to be one of the first guys hired yeah i agree with you completely on that one um not even a lie i was actually talking to one of my buddies on the phone on saturday and i was already ready to replace coach bud with rick carlisle i already had coach bud going to the pelicans and i had rick carlisle going there so I like your thought process, though. I think he'd fit in great with Portland. I think he's a good coach for a team that, you know, can win now. At the same time, though, I feel like he just needs to sit back, you know, and look at the entire NBA scale. But I think if anybody's going to fix what they have going on in Portland, it's him. So it'll be interesting to see the coaching carousel and where everybody ends up landing. I think the Pelicans' job is also very intriguing because they need a defensive-minded coach. And I'm, I'm scared that they're just going to hire Terry Stotts. And I'm not saying Terry Stotts is a bad coach. I think he is a good coach. But Terry Stotts, his Blazers teams didn't play defense. They were unbelievable offensively. And the Pelicans overs hit more than any other team in the NBA, which means they, were, they had the ability to score a lot of points and they gave mm-hmm. up a lot of points. And because they didn't make the playoffs and had a record below 500, that means they were worse at defense than they were at offense. So – I'm not sure Terry Stotts will fix that situation. Um, I'm not really buying the Zion family rumors yet. They're not trading him. He's going nowhere. That that rumor could shut up. Also, dude, Zion Williams' family, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean they're not catering to your needs? Like, the Pelicans' job is to keep Zion happy. It's been one year. Don't tell me his, the players around him aren't any good. Because there are some good players down there. I think Brandon Ingram's, Brandon Ingram's a very good player. Steven Adams is a is a good big man. Uh, Lonzo had a career year this year. Don't tell me Lonzo's bad, but he's coming off a career year. Josh Hart was solid, even though I make fun of him a lot. Like, they have talent in Philly. They play no defense. And guess what? It's a team sport. So if the Pelicans don't play any defense, that means Zion's not playing any defense. So his family needs to shut up. It's been one year. They fired the coach. Get a coach that Zion likes. They can, they have the talent to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a bunch of BS. Um, honestly, it, it's one year. If he wants out after one year, then I'm not a fan of Zion Williamson because I don't I like agree. players who jump ship like that. It's been one year. Give it some time. No, I agree with you completely. If he on wants that to one. live out his rookie, if he wants to live out his rookie contract and go to a bigger market, by all means, that's what free agency's for. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. Also, too, you know, for Zion, if anything, the organization has his back. Like, when he got hurt, his wrist, David Griffin was calling out saying that the officials don't officiate Zion correctly and saying that they don't give him all the fouls he needs. And he took a $50,000 fine for him. So, I mean, if anything, David Griffin's doing him right and doing him just as much as he can. I knew that Van Gundy wouldn't work out. I think the game's really passed him by. Also, too, I know yeah. that Steven Adams is still a solid big man. I just don't think he's the right fit for this roster. I think you have to clear out the paint and let Zion go to work. You know what I mean? Like, I'd play the Brandon Ingram at the four and let Zion be your five. So, yeah. I feel like that's the best way for the Pelicans to play basketball. But I agree with you completely. They got to get, get a coach in there. I don't, I, th- I don't think they necessarily need, like, an old-school defensive mind, but they got to get a guy in there who can figure out how they can play defense, if that makes more sense. Because I think they need to play with a smaller, faster lineup. But at the same time, like they got to be playing defense. The old, the old Grizzlies coach, um, Bickerstadt. Help me out with his name. No, the Yager. I'm trying to think which one Grizzlies have played coach roulette the fast the last couple of years. Yeah, there was. Let me get his name real quick. Past. There was a guy for Dave, I don't know. Dave Yeager. Yeager. Um, a, a guy that, a guy that uh, coached a smaller market team like the Pelicans are. His teams play defense. I get that Memphis has the grind attitude, but a guy like that is someone who they should hire. A guy mm-hmm. that's willing to grind in the small market, coaches players up to his, uh, you know, defense. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, he's a defensive-minded coach. Like I said, they don't need help offensively. They can score points. So, um, coaches like that, man, I, I I wouldn't, if I was them, like, I wouldn't go after a guy that's never been a coach before. I would not go after, like, a Chauncey Billups because I think it's too much of a risk. I think you, I think you need a guy that has um, a formula set in place. He knows somewhat how to win because I think the Grizzlies made the playoffs once under him. I'm not mistaken, but um, just go get a guy who has experience. If Mark Jackson wants to continue coaching, I think he's a fine hire. Like, even though the game might be past him, it's go get a guy who has experience. Don't pair up a coach that has no experience Mm -hmm. with an already young team because I don't think it works out like that. No, I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. Um, Anything else we need to hit on before we get up out of here? Well, I guess I lost Ben, but I appreciate everyone who tuned into the podcast today and we'll talk to you all again soon.